In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient and education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me, actress, poet, all-around joy, Ellen Adair. Ellen, welcome. Hey, Joe. Thank you for having me. You're you're and welcome. Thanks for saying I'm an all-around joy. I'm sure gonna try. <laughs> We're all gonna try. We're all gonna try. You know, we should start this podcast by stating what's obvious. This podcast has always been about nonsense, uh, meaninglessness, that's its only purpose in life, uh, it would not exist except to be meaningless. And anytime that we try to pump any meaning into it, uh, the podcast basically spits it out sort of like a, like a rejection. It's just like a, like, no, we, we, we don't want meaning here. Um, but it's like if the podcast is a bounce castle, you can only put air into the bounce castle that is the podcast. You can't try to insert something else in there. No, if you, you try to put, put like, like pennies bourbon. into the bounce castle and be like, yeah, even perfectly good things. Yeah. Bourbon is a much better example than pennies. It was the first thing <laughs> I thought of. I don't know how you would get pennies inside, but it, you you can't because pennies in a bouncing house would uh, really hurt. Uh, that would not help. be any it fun. Would not help it be bouncy. And bourbon, I mean, just you would get just from the fumes. You would think you would have little kids drunk. The the point I'm making is, <laughs> we we're in. I'm a, not here to get little kids drunk. No, we we really that's <laughs> putting bourbon. Why? How do we get? I'm trying to do a meaningful moment from the heart, and somehow we got to right away to bourbon inside bouncy houses. This is. <laughs> This is, yeah, that's this podcast. That pretty much in a nutshell. Um, Maybe we're doing a great job so far, actually. (laughs) Obviously, uh, with America on fire, uh, with the world looking uh, grim and and so many different things. It's, you know, I'll tell you what. To me, the most difficult part of what we're all going through and and obviously many of us going through it in a much harsher and 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 more direct way than 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 I am for sure and and that uh, than others are I don't I don't even know which way to turn anymore you know I mean it's there's there's so many bad things happening at once it's it it doesn't even feel fair to try to to try to like ask yourself what you're most afraid of or what you're most angry mm-hmm. about or 
it's it's really it's very very frustrating and obviously um with so many people out there protesting and so many people out there fighting for justice and and so many people out there fighting this health crisis and so many people out there trying to to make ends meet after losing their jobs uh it is not easy necessarily uh to be meaningless and and it doesn't always feel right but I mean, that's the only purpose we have here on the podcast is to be meaningless. It, it's uh, if it was meaningful, it, it, I mean, nobody would listen to it. And 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 we I don't feel fully qualified to be meaningful. So we're going to try to go on. But but I but I will say, I think there could be times during this podcast, uh, Ellen, when we find ourselves a little bit at a loss and a little bit of of concerned that, uh, that, you know, we're, we're in the middle of, of sort of a, you know, just a historically terrible moment and, 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 uh, and we'll be talking about bouncy houses with bourbon. So that doesn't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's right, but that's what we're going to do anyway. Yeah. It does feel hard to talk about anything else and that it is right, that it is hard to talk about anything else. You know, something that my husband and I have been talking a lot about, uh, is, you know, when you're a young person and you're in school and you're reading about historical times and you're like, I wonder what it would be like to have lived during those times. And we're living through all of them right now. Yeah. yeah. And it's important, actually, I feel like, you know, something that I have been thinking about in the past week uh, and particularly thinking about coming on this podcast. Uh, and talking about either meaninglessness or baseball, it's been like, you know, I've not actually had a lot of thoughts about baseball in the past week. But I've thought, you know, certainly since 2016, what has been required of us is that we learn how to think about more than one thing at one time. And that we learn how to juggle different various thoughts. And that just because we are uh, the th- the ball of one thought is landing in one hand at one time does not mean that we cannot keep the other balls in in the air at the same time. And for right now, just one of those balls that we're going to be juggling is meaninglessness. So I think we can do it. Well, certainly, certainly we'll, we'll give it our best. You know, I think, I think it's difficult to, um, you know, it's difficult because there, there, there really is another side to this, which is if you stop doing the meaninglessness, if you stop talking about baseball and 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 theater and and music and art and and these other things that really don't have much meaning, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the larger scope, I guess. I mean, of course, it has tremendous meaning to 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 us individually, but certainly with everything going on, it doesn't feel particularly meaningful. But if you stop talking about those things, that's all you're left with is 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 the problems. All you're left with is the pain. And 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 yeah, I mean, not to say that we're doing any sort of good service here because we're not. We're just we're doing the opposite. But yes. We're doing basically we're <laughs> we're really hurting America. Um, but you know, but but it's it's okay because we're hurting America in a completely different way than 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 the rest of this is going on. But it is true. I you know I I have talked to my own daughters about this, and and obviously they're, you know, I have a I have a, an eighteen year old and a fifteen year old, and 
they're not only aware, but but in some ways more aware of everything going on in quicker time even than I am, and 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 they know what's going on. And and we've talked about exactly what you said, which is, you know, me telling them that they're living through some things that that I as a kid only read about, and it just feels crazy that we're living through uh, the 1918 Spanish flu, uh, the depression. And 1968, all at the same time. I mean, that's that's what feels yeah, under so, the Andrew Johnson administration, <laughs> right? To feel so overwhelming, to to feel like I don't like if you solve one of the three problems that are you know, and I'm saying three, it's an infinite number of problems. But if you yeah. solve one of these three major, you know, you know, whatever they are, you want to call them roads. Um, you still have two really, really bad things happening at the same time. I mean, it's, it's, it is very, very trying and difficult and, and we know that. And, and um, you know, I, I think that, that I know you have been out, um, you know, with, with uh, a couple of different times, I imagine you've been out uh, with, with some protests. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. I mean, the protests in my neighborhood in Queens have been very peaceful and it has been incredibly meaningful to be there. And I've been honestly just really grateful to have that opportunity to go out and try to support in a small way. Yeah. And we've done the same here. We've we've tried in, in several different ways to uh, to to be to be a difference makers in in, you know, and and. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't say this casually. I mean, there is still a pandemic. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. You know, my wife uh, has been making masks, uh, and she has made um, more than a hundred masks for uh, a group here that that works with um, a homeless, and and it's it's really really meaningful to her. And these masks are are each of them are are very you know she makes them. Uh, sews them and does all kinds of, you know, they're, they're difficult to make and all that. And it's very meaningful. And I see her working on the masks, you know, her, her allotment of masks this week. And it's, it's just a reminder left her going through what we all went through this weekend. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's still a pandemic going on. There's, you know, this is the, the need is not in any way, shape or form um, going down for the need for masks. In fact, it's, it's going up. So so yes, it is trying and it is difficult, and and I apologize uh, already for the ten minutes that we've spent spending uh, probably too much meaning uh, in this thing. But I just think it's really important that we say, um, you know, we're we we're with you, we're we're listening, we we care, and and we're with you, and uh, and now we can talk about nonsense, right? I mean, I figure that's what we can do. Yes, absolutely, on both counts. <laughs> Well, the good news is that we can talk a little bit about baseball and the and and that's also its own fiasco. And that's oh, it's it's great to have like baseball like to talk about baseball the fiasco that is baseball at the moment kind of feels like such a relief from talking about so many other things that are so much uh more painful and and difficult, but um it seems like a full-fledged fiasco. So let's let's sort of review where we are because uh we are <laughs> We are kicking into the month of June, and um, you know there's 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 been this long-held uh, belief, I think, sort of in in quiet places throughout baseball, that everything was going to launch on July Fourth, one way or another. They were going to create some sort of baseball, certainly with no crowds. They were going to figure out a way to to keep the players, um, 
you know, quarantined best they can. I'm sure give players options uh, for, for what they can do. All of these things are very complicated and, and there was never a guarantee that these things were going to get done. However, I don't even hear anybody talking about that stuff anymore because uh, last week the owners put together a proposal which essentially um, made it so that the players, uh, particularly the high-end players, were going to have to sacrifice up to, what, 80% of their salaries? Uh, 80, yeah. 80 to... Uh, basically, I, I think the way they had it, I, I didn't... I didn't see it. Uh, I, I, I could have the numbers wrong, but I believe they were going to pay uh, Mike Trout seven fifty an hour. I think that's what they had it down to uh, <laughs> last I checked. And and then, but they were going to pay the 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 other players, the the players who have not you know uh, established themselves yet and are making less than a million dollars. They were going to pay them a larger per, uh, portion. They were also going to have to take a pay cut, but they were going to pay them a larger portion of their salary, which obviously is is just to get them to you know create an uprising against the players who are making a lot of money, which will not happen because every one of those players making less than a million dollars hopes to one day be Mike Trout and make millions. So they're not going to they're not going to do that. So anyway, that whole thing was a fiasco, and now the the Baseball Association uh, has done a, their own proposal. Uh, which includes a 114 game schedule, which I I just find astonishing that they that they still think there are enough days for a 114 day schedule. Um, player opt outs for for health purposes and and a few other things, and of course uh, the large point being they were not going to take the losses uh, that the owners uh, claim that they will take because that's always been the owner's job the owners have never really shared in in the wealth so that, so why should the players now be expected to take the losses ellen help me what what's happening here are we gonna have baseball i, I don't understand anything well i guess i can say that i do remain optimistic that we will have baseball at some point okay and I don't know that it will necessarily be in July um, or it will not be by early July just because it definitely looks like the two sides are digging in, um, which I am not making this both sidesism by any degree. I definitely agree with the players and I think that the owners are, um, are being ridiculous and that they were, you know, it's so obvious that with a lot of the things that they're doing right now, they're basically taking advantage of this situation to try to get things that they've wanted all along in terms of reduction of the minor leagues and in terms of, oh, maybe we can get the players to do this sort of revenue sharing, which of course, you know, the Players Association has been against for a long time as a kind of a salary cap. And as I understand it, one of the reasons that the players are sort of not negotiating with the owners when the owners bring them these, you know, different ridiculous proposals is because if they if they say that they're going to negotiate on that, then the agreement that they signed together in March that basically said that the owners would pay prorated salaries, then that would be void. But as of right now, that's still the agreement that is on the table. So as long as the players continue to 
fight for their own proposals, then that agreement is essentially still the still what stands right uh, between the two sides. Yeah. So yeah, the last the you know the last their last attempt was it seemed to me them just trying to bust the union, of course, which is ridiculous, um, and of course succeeded in. Uh, even Max Scherzer looking like he didn't want to play baseball, which is a feat in and of itself. Um, Because, you know, I think the only thing that I like more than seeing Max Scherzer pace around in the dugout like an excited beast is locate five devastating pitches like an excited beast. And the only thing that I like better than that is him saying no thanks like a cool, calm and collected beast. It was quite excellent. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very well. Here here's sort of what I come down on this. Well, first of all, we should say, um, just as an example, the Washington Nationals announced uh, a couple of days ago that uh, they were going they they were going to cut a bunch of players, minor league players who did not fit into their plans. Um, which you know that stinks, but. You understand when you sign one of those sort of minor league deals um, that you know the you're, the likelihood of you making the club and 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 all of that. I mean, the, it's it's pretty low. So so that's one thing. But beyond that, I mean, and and by the way, I don't mean to minimize the cruelty of cutting people in the middle of all of this in, in baseball, which has made billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. So I don't I don't mean to minimize that, but I do mean to say that much more offensive was they then announced that they were going to uh, keep paying the minor leaguers who, as we all know, uh, and has been a much, uh, much discussed topic for years now are making nothing. They're making nothing. nothing. I mean, it's absolutely, I mean, you know, they're making what uh, essentially what my uh, high school daughter would make if, if she got a job at target, you know, that's basically what they're making. They're making uh, if, less than if, I get on unemployment right now. Yeah, they're making nothing. And um, they decided to cut their salaries by 25%, which is $100 a week per player. What this? And by the way, the, the owner, Mark Lerner of the Washington Nationals, is the richest owner in baseball. He's the richest man in Maryland. He's worth more than $5 billion. And uh, I, I, you know, and by the way, a lot of people confuse million and billion. Like this is something that that a lot of people uh, do. <laughs> they, they do. Like like people will all the time. They'll be like, "Oh, this is a battle between millionaires and billionaires." Like like there is something um, similar about millionaires and billionaires. And and look, we'd all like to be a millionaire, uh, but a billionaire is a whole different thing. And 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 one way to say it is, if you make, let's say, you are a um, you know. you've gotten yourself a nice job, like a really good job, a six figure job. You get a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's a lot of money to get a year, but let's say you make a hundred thousand dollars a year. If you work for 10 years, a hundred thousand dollars a year, you you've got a million dollars. Obviously you've spent most of it, but the point is if at a hundred thousand dollars a year, you are a millionaire after 10 years at a hundred thousand dollars a year, do you know how many years it takes to become a billionaire? I, I I don't. I'm not. Math is not my forte. I but I feel like it's not within a human lifetime. 
10,000 years. That's how okay, long yeah. it takes at $100,000 a year, 10,000 okay. years. Okay. So, so, you know, so, so I, I want to get that clear what a billion is. A yes. billion is, uh, and I think it was Gary Gallman who made this joke, but, but one of the comedians made the joke. If a billionaire dropped a hundred dollars based on how much they make, it is not worth it for them to bend down and pick it up. That's how little a hundred dollars is to a billionaire. So, um, so it's lunacy. And of course the players, um, you know, led by the, the, uh, you know, most outstanding human being, uh, who you will see on Twitter as what, uh, what is his Twitter account? What, is, what would uh, do do? What would do do? Yes. Uh, Sean Doolittle, uh, got some players together and they're going to uh, make the players whole. They're going to go into the minor leagues and make the players whole, which you would think would shame the nationals to uh, the nth degree, but I bet it doesn't. I bet that's exactly what they wanted to happen. It's like players, <sighs> let, let the players pay that, you know? So uh, it's, it's infuriating and horrifying uh, and there's no good answer for it, but it, it leads to something that, that we can discuss. And, and this is, you know, this is a larger point. People often ask me, uh, well, what would you do? Oh, uh, I am getting a note from our own uh, Marissa, who is uh, delightfully uh, our our producer and wonderful, that the Nationals have backed down and they are now paying the players. I guess that has oh. literally just been announced. So it did That's shame wonderful. them. Look at that. Breaking news here on the podcast. I mean, it won't be by the time you hear it, but but it's breaking for us. Uh, our own Brit, uh, uh, over at, uh, the, uh, the athletic just, uh, just reported that. So very exciting. Um, but here's the thing people say to me all the time, and I'm sure they say to you, if you were commissioner of baseball, like what would you fix? Right. What would you change? Like that's a, that's a pretty common, um, pretty common question, you know, particularly like in Q and A's and that kind of thing. And, I've, I've always come up with various answers to that question, but the real answer is I'd want a real commissioner and, and not specifically saying anything about this commissioner or Bud Selig or, or, or any other commissioner, but I want one whose job was 100% looking out for the best interests of baseball, 100% mm -hmm. looking out for mm -hmm. the future of baseball. And I, I, it, this, this whole thing, everybody being so self-interested, particularly the owners, but look, the players have to look out for their own self-interest too. There's nobody that I can see whose job is to look out entirely for the game, to look out and see like with there, there'll be going to be no minor leagues this year. And, and, you know, which is very sad. I mean, that's, that seems like a, like a given now. And people will talk about, you know, how that hurts major league baseball and how it hurts this, but that's hundreds and hundreds of communities around this country that will not see any baseball this year. They will not see any live baseball. I mean, they, you know, the, we, we always think of baseball as this major league product, but because there's no college baseball, because there's going to be no minor league baseball. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. There'll be no baseball here, you know, and Charlotte's mm -hmm. a big city, but think of all the little cities all across this country who have minor league baseball. That's going to be a full year for them where there is no baseball. And, you know, Baseball is a part of everybody's, you know, not everybody's, but a large number of people's lives in in the smallest ways. Hey, it's July 4th. We're going to go out to the ball game uh, to, watch, you know, bring the family. It's the first time that the kids have seen baseball. 
it is an enormous pain to baseball, an enormous hurt and harm to baseball to to turn their backs on all of these communities across the country that uh, that rely on minor league baseball, that that's the only baseball they get, except for what they see on television. And how are you going to get people to fall in love with this game? How are you going to get people to, to stay with this game? How are you going to get people to think of baseball? So many have already turned their backs on this sport. And to see them, them fighting, how do owners not just view 2020 as a lost year for finances? Look, you're just going to lose money this year. You've, you've made money 50 consecutive years. All right. You're mm-hmm. going to lose money this year and, mm-hmm. and you're not losing money because, because of anything anybody did. You're losing money because of this pandemic that hit uh, the world. And, and if you don't go out there and play ball, you are hurting the game possibly, uh, uh, you know, irrevocably for the rest. And, and I just, I just don't understand how nobody can be out there looking for what the game is going needs to be coming out of this pandemic for the next 10 years. Uh, it breaks my heart that nobody out there seems to be watching out for the game. I, I, I could not agree more. I mean, I was lucky to be on the pitcher list podcast pretty recently. And they, they asked me that same question about if you were the commissioner, what's the first thing that you would do? And I would say, well, I would figure out how to pay minor leaguers more than subsistence wages. And I wouldn't contract the minor leagues because that's such an important way that baseball gets into communities. And it's just astonishingly short-sighted for the owners to be, you know, releasing players at this time. I understand that that's part of the normal, that they would have been releasing players now anyway, but it's such, as you were saying, it's such a tiny fraction of the money that they have to keep these players on to say, you know what, like, we stand as an organization for everybody who's in this organization, that it would cost nothing to them and that the goodwill that that would generate. And I guess it's it's sort of like I, I'm perhaps endowing them with rational thought that they do not seem to be exhibiting that I think that the season will have to be played because it will be such a loss to them if the other sports can figure out how to play their seasons and major league baseball can't get it together because the owners are grubbing about money that they have in their bank accounts. And I mean, I think that unfortunately the owners are counting on the public perception being like, again, as you said, the millionaires versus billionaires situation, as opposed to like, no, this is 100% on the billionaires. They just need to stop like basically counting on people to bail them out and then privatizing their gains, which is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I want to read uh, a little something that Dayton Moore said. Dayton Moore, the general manager of the Kansas City Royals, president, general manager, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. and a dear friend. Understand this. The minor league players, the players you'll never know about, the players that never get out of rookie ball or high A, those players have as much impact on the growth of our game as 10-year or 15-year veteran players. They have as much opportunity to influence the growth of our game as those individuals who played for a long time because those individuals go back to their communities and teach the game, 
work in academies, are junior college coaches, college coaches, scouts, coaches in pro baseball. They're growing the game constantly because they're so passionate about it. So we felt it was really, really important not to release one minor league player during this time, a time we needed to stand behind them. That's the Kansas City Royals, who we all know is one of the smallest market teams in baseball. Um, and, you know, look, I would make Dayton Moore uh, true commissioner tomorrow, not the commissioner as it stands now, but commissioner of baseball, somebody whose job was really to look out for the game, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's right. He's 100% right. It's it's all of these minor leaguers. It's not just the ones that make it to the major leagues. Some of them become scouts, some of them become coaches, but all of them are out there pushing the game. They're hometown heroes, every one of them. You know, just getting to professional baseball is such an extraordinary accomplishment, you know, athletically. Seriously. And, and if you're from a little town in Kansas or Nebraska or Kentucky or, or Texas or wherever, and you make it to double A, everybody in town knows you. They name stuff after you. I mean, it, it matters. And to see, I thought that when we saw what that baseball basically wanted to contract the minor leagues before all of this mess happened, you, I thought, man, they've lost their way. They've just lost their way. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. they lost it 15. Maybe they lost it during the 94 strike. I'm not saying it's new, but they've lost their way. They no longer are caring about the brand of baseball, the future of baseball, the, 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 you know, trying to, they're, they're just out to protect today's dime and it's, it's heartbreaking. And then of course this pandemic hits and now we just, we see this uh, playing out in, in real time where some owners seem to be perfectly content to not play at all this year because they're going to lose money and, and, and they think they've got the upper hand on the players. They're going to, they're going to hold the players feet to the fire and make them take the losses. I mean, it's, it's, it's grotesque as a baseball fan. It's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we all, I certainly continue to love the game of baseball. And as soon as the game of baseball is being played again, I will be so thrilled. (laughs) But this kind of stuff, it's, I mean, there's no other interpretation to it other than that it is a bummer, or at least maybe that's like the kindest interpretation of any of it, because it, I can't believe that they are just stuck in the minutia of this and that they fail to see the larger picture. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. But to to put it to a, a happier note, you think they're going to figure it out some one way or another. You think they will. You think there's too much at stake and they will end up playing. I just really hope that the owners are going to want to get some kind of revenues. They're going to want to get those, you know, the nice playoff TV revenues. And that if they don't play at all, then they're, you know, they're that hopefully I'm just hoping their own bank accounts will make them make a deal. And it's true. Like maybe I'm, I think I'm also optimistic because I listened to, other people be optimistic. Um, Jeff Francoeur was on the uh, Phillies Talk podcast this past week, and he was very optimistic about it. And I mean, maybe part of that is just like Jeff. He's Rancourt an optimistic guy. Being yeah, just Jeff, wonderful. Yes. I just i I love Jeff Francoeur so much. Who doesn't? Much. Who doesn't I mean, love Jeff Francoeur? I whoever well, I'll tell you, they are, I'll tell, they have I'll tell to you. be wrong. 
I'll tell you who doesn't love Jeff Rancor on base percentage. On base percentage, doesn't love Jeff Rancor. But everybody else does. I have never had a player who I wanted so badly uh, to succeed, like to be to be great, to be what he was when he first came up to the big leagues, right? To be that star. And uh, it didn't work out quite that way, but it never prevented him from being an absolute joy. Yeah, such a joy. I mean, despite the fact that, you know, he spent most of his career in the sort of competing NL East teams with me uh, as a Phillies you, fan. Like, you don't I like just, those Braves. You've made that clear. I, You're yeah, not I a... don't love the Braves, but I do love Jeff Francoeur. Sure. I just, and when the Phillies do. got him for a single year, I was, I was so thrilled about it. It was like the opposite of, of when, when Jose Bautista was making his like tour of the NL East, I kept on calling him the cold French fries of the yeah. NL East that people <laughs> kept on being like, eh, I don't really want this. Do you, do you want this? But Jeff Francoeur, he's just the opposite. I don't know what the opposite of that is, like that crispy chicken sandwich of the Jeff Francoeur, the crispy chicken sandwich <laughs> of the National League East. How many? Well, you know, look, he played for he played for how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different teams in his big leagues, and three of them were in the NL East: the Mets. Braves Phillies is that is that right I, I that's right yeah I think that's right so that's good of course he had three great years with the Royals um, so he did uh and in fact had one of his best seasons with the Royals 2011 when he hit 285 slugged 476 20 homers uh, uh 115 WRC plus very very nice very nice uh uh effort by him um look he had a good career but 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 he is one of those guys who Good career, great person. Yes, it's true. How many other good career, great person people would you say, like, could you come up with, like, off the top of your head? Like, Dwayne like Dwayne Kuyper is a good career, great person. There would be people who would question the good career part of Dwayne Kuyper. But but Dwayne, um, Dwayne played a long time in the big leagues and, and was a regular. So that's a good career, in my view. Uh, and then couldn't be a better person, obviously. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm going to think of Phillies. I think Andrew McCutcheon's a pretty great person. Andrew McCutcheon's a great player, great person, though. See, that's yeah. like Andrew McCutcheon was. Oh, I see. A, so, so we want it's go, like a, it's really good player, good, good person, good so to tough. even not quite good, right? Like, 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 like. I don't want like people who just showed up, like, and and they were, you know, they played, they didn't play that much. I want somebody who was a regular. But it was like a good player, fine. You know, good somebody you would say, like, ah, oh, he's, he's okay, he's a good player. But as a person, like fabulous, fantastic. And I and I'll and while you're thinking of it, I will tell my my newest Dwayne Kuiper story. So uh for those of you that don't know, um not a, a few years ago, I've I've told this story many, many times. A few years ago, uh, Dwayne Kuyper got hold of the idea. Uh, he understood that he, that I uh, am his biggest fan, that he is my hero, and he reached out to my wife and said he wanted to get something uh, for me, which was very, very sweet of him. Uh, and my wife responded with the very classic uh, response, which is, are you the real Dwayne Kuyper, mm-hmm. uh, which, which he just got the biggest kick out of. And uh, once he assured her that he was, in fact, the real Dwayne Kuyper, he sent me uh, some like stuff that he used, like actual game. You know, they sent me a hat uh, that he used. He sent me a uh, like a, a batting uh, glove that he used, and he sent me a bat 
Now, I don't know if it's a game used bat. It looks kind of new, but it is a Dwayne Kuyper bat. So it was obviously one that he 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 kept and uh, and he signed it. And it's very, very nice. I only bring this up because uh, uh, not actually earlier today, uh, I'm in my office and I see my wife and she's like, hey, I need to borrow this. And she takes my Dwayne Kuyper bat uh, and leaves and just oh, okay. walks out with the Dwayne Kuyper bat. And I'm thinking, what? possible use could she have for for having the Dwayne Kuiper bat and I thought you know lots of thoughts in my mind came up like maybe Dwayne Kuiper reached back out to her he wants to send another bat he wants to make sure that it's not that bat he wants to make sure he's sending a different thing I you know it could be anything and I I went downstairs uh, and said uh, to my wife Margot uh, so why why did you need the Dwayne Kuiper bat and she said uh, my headphones were all the way under the bed and I couldn't reach them so <laughs> She used my Dwayne Kuiper bat to uh, pull her headphones uh, from all the way underneath the bed. So there you go. And, th- and I love that with all of the stupid things we have in this house, that that the first place her mind went was, you know, I could get those headphones if I just had that Dwayne Kuiper bat. I think that's that that speaks well uh, of, of my wife. Anyway. It's, yeah. Ongoing, continuing use. <laughs> Yes, it's it's you know it's a household object that can be used in many different ways. Um, all right, so have you thought of a couple of players who are good, good people, good players, great people? I you know, no, I'm really bad at being put on the spot for questions. Well, that's why I put you like, on the spot. That's I know, I but I'm just it. bad at it. I like all I can think of are like great players, great people. I can't think of like good players, good people. Well, it's wait, like Dale Murphy's a great player, great person. Like Dale, that like Dale would qualify as a great player and great person. Yeah. Would, would Raul Abanez qualify as a great player, or is Raul Abanez good player, great person? Um, I I mean, he was on the Hall of Fame ballot. He was well, you but you play ten years, you're on the Hall of Fame ballot. I, Dwayne Kuyper, I think, was on the Hall of Fame ballot. I, I'm I pretty guess sure. I. So. I I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe good player, great person. Is Tory Hunter a good player or a great player? Tory Hunter is I, problematic great, in, in, great, in other ways, yeah. but 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 now that I'm thinking about this good player, great player question. Great where, player where is we, my gut, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I well now now I want to move Some beyond. Some part the of good, my gut is also great player for Raul Lubanez, but I just love Raul, so I think he might be a great player. This now I've got a whole new topic of discussion. I want to move away from the great person thing because it's harder to figure in, and there are a lot of really great people. The Tory Hunter thing came to mind. Where is the line that we draw between good player and great player? Like, like who who would you like? You would definitely say Chase Utley is a great player, right? Oh, yeah. And Jimmy Rollins is a great player. Absolutely. Okay. Also so a great person. And He's great like person. the first yeah. person I thought of, but he's a great person and a great player yeah so you call him so he's a great player because because like jimmy rollins will i don't know this i don't think jimmy rollins is going to make the hall of fame he might i'm sorry am i am i breaking news to you is this are you that's devastating to me like maybe true but no (laughs) I, i don't i don't think i'm not saying he won't for sure but i mean he's 47 war you know in his career i mean that's not really You're hall right. of fame you know um but you would call him a great player right oh yeah okay so i mean so he's would one you of call... my all-time favorite so 
Well, no, no. But would you call Ryan Howard a great player? I would. Okay, so Ryan Howard's a great player. Would you call Carlos Ruiz a great player? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I... I'm I so happy to be so putting much, you on the spot. Yeah. That might be that might be where the line is. I think that Carlos Ruiz, I mean, it's hard, right? Because he had so many contributions that we can't quite know about. Like he was so good at working with pitchers. Right. That that is absolutely part of his contribution. And so perhaps he deserves to be called a great player. So you but, so so you're torn on whether I'm, or not. I'm torn. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to find I'm going to find the person. Is Jason Worth a great player? No. Okay, so Jason Worth is a good Ma- player. Yeah. Yeah, I think Jason Worth is a good player. Okay, so for you the good player is the difference between Jason Worth and Carlos Ruiz essentially. Yes, but you can't just look <laughs> at Carlos Ruiz's offensive stats. I'm not taking just those into consideration. Okay, but but you would still say that line is is somewhere. Okay, so let's do this by war. All right, so Jason Worth's war is about thirty. Okay. Okay. So you would say thirty war is a good player. Is that what oh, you're saying? Yes. Oh yeah. Say? Okay. Yes. Thirty, but not necessarily a great player. But not necessarily a great player. Yes. Okay. And Carlos Ruiz, you even though his war is is lower than Jason Worth's. You believe that because of some various intangibles and other things that he did behind the scenes, uh, you might elevate him to great player. I might, yes. Okay. I mean, I it's this... very biased about all of these, clearly. Well, I'm only doing Phillies. I mean, there's no point in me trying like to ask you, is Jamie Moyer a great pitcher or a good pitcher? I think he's a good pitcher. Okay. Is Cole Hamels a good pitcher or a great pitcher? I think he's a great pitcher. All right. So there you go. So that was, that was easier for left-handed uh, Phillies, former Philly pitchers. Great is Cole Hamels and good is Jamie Moyer. Yeah. Does, I don't, I mean, I don't know. How does their career war stack up? Oh, Moyer's war is way higher than Hamels, but that's, but that's cause he's, he's been around forever. Actually not way higher. Cause Hamels war is quite good. Uh, 50 war for Moyer and, uh, and Hamels actually is above that. I bet. Hamill's war is, uh, yeah, 58.5. In fact, Cole Hamill's, let's talk about Cole Hamill's for a minute. I want this thing to go completely off in the Great. wrong directions over and over again <laughs> so we can be fully meaningless. Cole Hamill's is 30, he's 36. He's going to lose his age 36 season, which is which is a shame. Um, but legitimately, assuming he could have played this season, but even without that, Let's say he has four more years in the big leagues where he is of roughly the value that he was in 2019. Roughly, you know, he was like a pretty good pitcher. He was a, he was a 3.2 war guy over the, over the season. Um, You know, he did it for two different teams. I guess he did it for the Cubs. Seven and seven, 381 with a 141 innings pitch. Um, So let's say he had four more years of that, level or maybe even a touch better than that level you got to talk about him for the hall of fame i mean suddenly that war is creeping up towards 70 you know if you if you if you could get four more years of that 70 war is like you're you're a hall of famer basically i mean there are not that many 70 war guys out there um that are not in the hall of fame now cole hamels could have the this this was the very same argument 
you could have made about Johnny Damon, where Johnny Damon looked like he could had a real shot at getting 3,000 hits. When Johnny Damon, like the last, Johnny Damon had, like, I'll look it up exactly, but he had something like 2,600 hits or something um, with, with you know, where he was young enough that you're like, oh, he's going to get to, to 3,000 hits. Uh, he had 2,600, 2,723 hits after his age 37 season. So he was only 200 and uh, whatever, 77 hits, shy of 3,000 with, he was only 37, he was only turning 38. And, uh, but then it just stopped. He just completely stopped. But had he gone on, he could have gotten to 3,000 hits. And then some people would have definitely voted for him for the Hall of Fame. So, Cole Hamels, Hall of Famer, does that excite you, that possibility? Of course that possibility ex- excites me. I do think four years is is not what I would have guessed. Um, I mean, it's totally within the realm of possibility, but yeah, I don't think that that's the number that I necessarily would have thrown out there. It's like, yeah, he's got four more years. What would you have thrown out there? I, I mean, you think three more years? Yeah. Two? Maybe, yeah, three. Three feels more realistic okay. to me. Than four, well, it feels three? like, and and two yeah. could be possible. Also, maybe two, maybe two like like worthwhile or two like sort of usable years, and then one like decline year where he's just not very good at all, and he doesn't add anything to the case. Like that's possible too. It's possible. I mean, I obviously, I I want to just say, yeah, I think that 2018 when he was just a kind of a disaster on the Rangers was just the outlier but uh, i don't know i mean i think you know we we saw him give up some 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 sort of like scare tact uh and (laughs) i don't know i'm just just yeah Yeah, like just looking at at, and in uh 2018 his like expected weighted on base on contact was 403 which is not great um, I feel like that squares no. with the uh, Cole Hamels that I watched. <laughs> and he was so yeah, good well. when he went over to the Cubs for the rest of that year. Um, but then that sort of just felt like perhaps regression to the mean. So, I mean, I was devastated was, when he signed okay. with the Braves. I definitely wanted the Phillies to sign him again and would have been very happy for the Phillies to sign him again for like two years. But I think that, you know, the fact that he only got a one-year contract doesn't mean that he couldn't get a string of one-year contracts from here on out, but it... Okay. You know what? This is so much fun. We are now going to play a new game that I just invented Great. just for us. This is the ask Ellen if this person is a good player or oh a great God, player. This is going to give me so That's much it. anxiety. This is, this is, this is going to be so much anxiety. So, and, and I'm not making this easy. I'm not going to be asking you like, Oh, Mike Trout. Like that's, we're not making it easy. All right. Good player, great player. We are looking not specifically how they are now. In fact, we're not asking at all how they are now. We're asking as a career, as a career based on what they've done so far and where they, they look to be going. Uh, will they be remembered as a good player or a great player? That is, that is the, the topic of, I'm going to get music for the ask Ellen, the good player or (laughs) great player question. All right, here we go. Okay. All right. So first person we are asking the question about is Evan Longoria. Is Evan Longoria a good player or a great player? I'm actually going to go great player. Yeah. Nice. 
Nice. You can explain. You can go in. You can explain your your reasoning. I I mean, he was just so good with the Rays. Um, and, you know, yes. now he's sort of like relegated to the Giants and that gigantic ballpark. And they're, you know, the Giants, like no shade. I mean, any team that can win three World Series in a five-year period or whatever, like, is allowed to be bad for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of it feels like he's in a kind of a forgotten corner. But uh, yeah, I think I think that he was he yeah. was so good for so long with the Rays that I would say that he's a great player. All right, well, fifty-six WAR for for Evan Longoria. He just finished his age thirty-three season. Obviously, going to miss all or some of his age 34 season. But again, you know, with enough time, if he could have, uh, you know, it's been been a little while since he's had a great year. You probably have to go back to 2016 when he was still with the Rays, when he hit uh, uh, 273 with 36 homers, 41 doubles, uh, slug 521. Um, And of course, played uh, fantastic defense uh, throughout his career and, and is a, great defensive third baseman. So I like it. Evan Longoria put the stamp. Great player. All right. Number two. I like it. Number two, Lorenzo Kane. Good player. Great player. Oh, I love Lorenzo Kane. <laughs> Who doesn't? How could you not love Lorenzo Kane? Seriously. Um, but I sort of think he might just be a good player. Okay. Ouch. Good player for Lorenzo Kane. Just sort of your gut feeling. Just sort of. That's just kind of my gut feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, Lorenzo Kane had, uh, from what I can see, four years where you would call him probably a great player. Three of them with the Royals uh, during their sort of glory period. And then um, one with the Brewers in 18 when he hit the. Finished seventh in the MVP voting that year. Um, you know, the thing that about Lorenzo Kane that's tough is Lorenzo Kane has never really hit with power. So the things that Lorenzo Kane does, which is, you know, he still he steals bases. He's obviously almost unparalleled as a defensive center fielder. Uh, pretty good at getting on base. You know, it it there's something that feels like it's missing. Of course, the other crazy thing about Lorenzo Kane is last year was the first year that he finally won a gold glove and he's he really? probably just yeah which is insane it, it's weird because like he started he started deserving gold gloves in 2013 but he was only a part-time player uh that year and then in 2014 i believe they kind of had him a little bit in, more in right field than center field uh so there was kind of a mess there but uh, but he never won a gold glove until until last year. So I guess the competition is very stiff in center field. I just think about like, didn't Alex Gordon win a couple of gold gloves? That feels slightly un- unfair for. I mean, I love Alex Gordon also, but like slightly unfair for him to have won a bunch and not Lorenzo yes. Kane. Well, uh, Alex Gordon won because they switched the the criteria so that they had a left fielder. Finally, then and by the way, it shouldn't have been this way before. Uh, they shouldn't have, they, it should have, uh, been this way since the beginning. Uh, they give, instead of giving three gold gloves to outfielders, which is what they used to do, they split it up. So you had a left field gold glove, a center field, a gold glove and a right field gold glove. And, um, 
and and basically Gordon was the best left fielder uh, after Carl Crawford uh, sort of uh, disappeared. He became the best left fielder, and then he won a bunch in a row. So he won them, but it's not the same thing as winning like a a center field gold glove or or you know being a Lorenzo Cain where you could play any of the of the outfield positions. Okay. Well, all right. So Lorenzo, I don't know. Maybe he's great. <laughs> nope, nope. You can't back off. That's oh, it. You no. got it, and you got to be strong. I mean, it's it's very important <laughs> that you are strong. All right, I'll give you. Here's a, here's a good opportunity for me to ask you one that could conceivably make you very unpopular. Um, Anthony Rizzo, good player, a great player. I think he's a great player. I'm probably going to be like betrayed as inconsistent, but yeah, I think he is. He's so consistent. He is very consistent, like ridiculously consistent. You can't tell the difference between any of his years. So that's good. And they're all good, you know, really, really good years. And he's a great defensive first baseman uh, who is also, no, he's won three gold gloves. It looks like. All right, so you're going to, you know, and he's younger. You know, he's only, he only was, uh, he turned 30 this year uh, and probably going to, you know, miss however much of this year. But you're ready, you're you're ready to give it. I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you. Anthony Rizzo gets the great player nod. I think that's fair. Yeah, and I, I mean, perhaps maybe it's just because it's hard for me to imagine him not being consistent. It feels like he, he will continue to be good for a while okay i like it i like it also i mean obviously i love all of these guys but i have really particular affection for anthony rizzo my with my best friend um our nickname for him is tiny pal because he seems like a toddler that somebody just made big (laughs) like somebody just sort of dragged like diagonally on the corner of a toddler you know, not like straight up and not obviously to the side, but just like the picture of a toddler, they just dragged diagonally on the corner and then they made Anthony Rizzo. I like it. I, I should tell you that my best friend uh, loathes Anthony Rizzo with the hatred of a thousand sons. It, it's he so I mean, it's it's almost a daily thing during a real season when the season's going on where he will talk about some phony thing that he believes Anthony Rizzo did. It's it's actually quite funny to me. Like he I don't know where he picked it up. I think part of it is my friend is the kind of person who uh loves to be like alone in arguments, like loves to be like the one fighting the crowd. Like the like he would he would be he'd be the one in the middle of a party who like whatever music was playing goes, ah, this song sucks, just to get everybody yelling at him. Like that's sort of his his personality. And Anthony Rizzo okay. has there. There does not seem to be a lot of Anthony Rizzo backlash in in baseball, as far as I know. So he represents all the Anthony Rizzo backlash in in baseball, okay. which is is quite amusing. All right, that makes sense because I I think I spent most of your speech describing the behavior of your friend with my mouth wide open. <laughs> But that was my response when you said that your friend hated Anthony Rizzo. I was like, how is that possible? I I need to get you two together. He he has a rant about Anthony Rizzo that you would not even believe. I mean, it's, it is, it is, it is quite something to behold. I'm not going to name him publicly because uh, I'm in a glass box of emotion. It would, 
It would hurt him very much and people would attack him and I wouldn't want that. All right. uh, Number four on the ask Ellen, if this is a great player or not, Josh Donaldson is Josh Donaldson, a great player. I think he's a great player. Oh, wow. Sort of a, you didn't hesitate, which is good, but then there was sort of a resigned response to that. I don't love Josh Donaldson. No. I don't know why. I just I just ne- I just have never really loved Josh Donaldson. Wow. Josh Donaldson does so many of the things that you love and appreciate as 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 the advanced guru baseball fan that you are. Like he's he's brilliant defensively. He gets on base. He does so many things that you love. I where where is the love for Josh Donaldson? It's it's a to- it's a totally emotional thing. Okay. I don't I don't know why. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so I've always been like, oh, he's a great player. He's just, I, I, maybe it's a personality thing. But again, it's not like I have something very specific to point to. Um, okay. All right. Last one. This is the easiest of the bunch right here. All right. You ready? Okay. You, you ready? This is it. This is, this is, this is our big moment. Is Brett Gardner a great player? <laughs> I just wanted to say that. I was going to say that. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. <laughs> well, 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 boy, you, you know, Brett Garner has more war than Anthony Rizzo or Josh Donaldson. Where, where, where why, why the emotion? Why the feelings about Brett Gardner? Ah, uh, just. <laughs> it's like our Yankee minute. This is our version. Yeah, of the yeah this is minute. our Yankee minute. Yeah, I don't know. Just like the side of his stupid head fills me with rage. <laughs> um, and, he, you know, I think it's the fact that, like, he's just been a Yankee for so long. Yeah. You know, yeah, he was the on the 2009 team that yeah. beat my poor Phillies. And he's still freaking around. Yes. And I'm still looking at him. <laughs> I mean maybe he's a, a great player. Actually, you know what? I don't think that he is. I just, I genuinely don't think that he is, but I'm probably not able to see against, uh, see past my own non-Yankee bias. No, you're right. He's not a great player. It, the thing, the thing he's is. He's a good player. I'm not, I mean, when I said that he yeah. was trash, I was kidding. No, no, that, don't, don't back down now. They stick with the trash thing. Here's the thing. And this is, this is sort of leads to a larger discussion about war, which we're not going to have. Um, He's a he's a league average hitter. He's a, literally his his OPS plus one. His OPS plus uh, for his career is one hundred and one. So he's he's totally a league average hitter playing left field where you really don't want a league average hitter if you can. Uh, he steals some bases, uh, no question about that. Or, or certainly used to steal a lot of bases. Still effective on the base pass. Good base runner. Um, he gets so much credit as this breathtaking outfielder i mean he, you know he had three 3.4 defensive war in 2010 i mean he he gets this he has this reputation as this extraordinary outfielder um and and i'm not questioning i'm sure he's very very good but he's he's his range is absolutely league average nothing more nothing less and he plays left field and when he plays in center he's no good and he has no arm i don't so it's one of those things. I mean, I, I love war. I love arguing with it too. And, and I think they've, I think they got him wrong. Uh, Cause he has more than 40 war 
in his career as a league average hitter who played left field. Uh, I don't see it, but. It could be a sort of an accumulation thing that yeah. he has just played for a very long time. Well, and he's done a lot of things. I mean, he, you know, it's one of those things. War does reward people who do everything well. He does. He's a great base runner. He's a great outfielder. He, he he does get on base somewhat league average, um, better than league average and getting on base and, you know, hits some triples and, and lately has been hitting a few home runs. So, all right. Yeah, he's but not, that's he's with a great the super player. fun ball. In 2009, he hit three home yeah. runs. Yeah. His isolated power was 109. Yeah. That's yeah, I, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's Super a, Bowl. In 108 Super games, Bowl yeah, yeah, Super Bowl and Super Park, basically, for his. Yes, for also. His... I mean, I think that the park probably helps his defense as well. I'm not saying that he doesn't have excellent defense. He does has have excellent defense. The The ladies love smartly executed defensive plays lobby is recognizing that he's a good defensive player. Okay, all right. It's not like he's playing in Kaufman to he bring is... it back around to Alex Gordon. That's exactly right. So That's exactly right. All right, well, we'll... Good player. He gets good player, but he's, he's not getting, he's not close to great player. He, of the, of the, of the five, I'd say he is the one who you thought about the least as potentially a great player. Uh, Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, there we go. So that's, that's our, that's our ask Ellen (laughs) if this player is great or not segment. And uh, now we have a new segment. This is, I'm very excited about this. So, so here's my thought, you know, um, I don't know if you know this, Ellen, uh, now and again on this podcast, uh, I have Mike Shore on here as my co-host. Uh, you do. I know it's weird. It's weird. Oh, we've I'm only such a fan. We've only been doing it uh, for 34, 34 years. So it's been it's been a lot. And about thirty four years ago, uh, we were at a minor league baseball game, and uh, no, a a spring training game. It was not minor league. It was spring training game in Florida, and. At one point, for no reason whatsoever, we started drafting fruit. Um, the, literally, it just happened. I don't know why or how it started. I just know that I think we were arguing about strawberries, and and then we just started drafting fruit. And and then when I started, we started doing a podcast together. We're like, oh, we got to draft stuff. So we draft stupid things. You, of course, have been involved in the draft as well. I uh, love drafting as, stupid as, things. Yes, drafting stupid things is very fun. But – I, I, you know, when we're on together, when you are my co-host, uh, I want you to have your own thing. I don't want you to be, to be trapped by the, by the, um, you know, the silliness of, of Mike and I, uh, drafting things, uh, stupidly at a, at a, uh, spring training baseball game. So I wanted to create our own special Ellen thing. Now we have two special Ellen things. Cause we have the ask Ellen if there, if this is a great player <laughs> segment as well that we just came up with on the fly, oh, but you're a genius, but I, I want this. So this is very special. I wanted to do something that speaks directly to what you do. So the, of course, everybody who is listening knows Ellen is a, is an actress uh, who you have seen in, in many, many uh, things. And uh, so I wanted to do something special. So here's what I've come up with. Uh, the music is coming later. Uh, we're calling it Reading with Ellen or a reading. Should it be a reading with Ellen or reading with Ellen? I think either is fine. Yeah, okay. I think a reading with Ellen. It's a reading with Ellen where we are going to, I, I get to fulfill my dream to be to be an actor. Uh, we are going to relive 
we're going to do a table reading of uh, great scenes in uh, sports movie history. And, and it doesn't have to be just sports movies. We could, we could work on other things, but we are going to start with sports movies. And the, and the, the idea is uh, that we are going to do it exactly the way they did it uh, in the movie. Right. I mean, the, 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 the scene is, uh, is exactly the way it was in the movie. So our first, a reading with Ellen is going to be, um, I'll set it up for people uh, unless you would like to set it up. Would you like to set it up? No, you go for it. Roy Hobbs uh, has has is in the hospital. Uh, he has just been, I think, poisoned. Uh, nobody th- that's never really been made clear how he ended up in the hospital. But we know yeah. that that we know that that uh, in the end uh, that Kim Basinger gave him some sort of drink, and then suddenly he didn't feel well, and then he was in the hospital, and then they removed the bullet that uh, had been shot into him uh, by, uh, you know, by a woman earlier in the, in the, uh, in the movie. Anyway, the point is they're in the hospital and then his, his childhood sweetheart, uh, Iris comes to visit him in the hospital. And so we are going to relive the natural hospital scene. All right. Is that, is that, have I set it up well enough? You think you've set it up beautifully. All right. Excellent. All right. I am playing the part of Roy Hobbs. Uh, and Ellis is playing Ellis. Who's Ellis? You, you, Ellen you combined is... our names. <laughs> Ellen. Iris. Ellen Ellis is playing Iris. Is, Ellis is the person that I am when I'm reading Iris. <laughs> you are. You you transform into Ellis. Uh, okay, so Ellen is playing Iris. All right, are you ready? Yes. This could be a total disaster, by the way. I've, I've not I've not workshopped this at all. This is. It's going to be this, great. It's going to be great. All right, here we go. I will start. Things sure turned out different. In what way? Different. For 16 years, I've lived with the idea that I could be, could be the best in the game. You're so good now. Could have been better. I could have broke every record in the book. N- not the wins record. Come on, 511 wins? You could win 25 a year, 20 years in a row, and you're not breaking that record. Of course, I don't think that record should even count since Cy Young won a bunch of those games before they moved the mound back. I'm just saying it's possible. Well, not the hits record either. You're not breaking the hits record, not if you're spending your early years as a pitcher. Maybe I would have been a 2UA player. Do you ever think of that? Oh, okay. Okay. Fine. So let's pretend you break every record except for the wins and the hits record and also the triples record because you're not that fast. And then? And then, when I walked down the street, people would have said, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was in this game. Wait, isn't that Ted Williams' line? Who? Uh, go on. No, that's it. I walk down the street and people say, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was in this game. Or you could get hurt. <laughs> I'm indestructible. We're in a hospital. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, you you have to consider it. This is 1939, right? You're out there throwing 150 pitches a game. There's no Tommy John surgery. I, I'm just saying, maybe you get hurt. And when you walk down the street, people say, there goes Roy Hobbs. He does my lawn. Or there goes Roy Hobbs. He used to date my sister. This, this conversation isn't going how I thought it would. You know... 
I believe we have two lives. How do you mean? The life we learn with and the life we live after that. No, I, I still don't get it. How, how's that two lives? The first life you learn with, the second one you live after that. That's two lives. So wait, you don't do anything but learn in the first life? Like you're at school 24 hours a day and then in the second life, wait, you don't learn anything? It's two lives, Roy. It's not that hard. The point is, with or without the records, they'll remember you. Think of all those young boys you've influenced. There are so many of them. That day in Chicago, why did you stand up? I didn't want to see you fail. That is so... Again, fail again is what I meant. I didn't want to see you fail again, so I got up to leave. But... I mean... You'd struck out three times already, all on sliders. It's just ridiculous how bad you are in sliders when you're in a slump. I didn't want to see that again, so I stood up to leave, but the guy on the end of the row was blocking the aisle. People have no consideration. I wish Dad would have... God, I love baseball. Not quite as much as you seem to love the femme fatales. What's that? I mean, Barbara Hershey tries to kill you, Kim Basinger tries to poison you. I wouldn't exactly say you're the best judge of character. I'm still confused by the two lives thing. I'll explain it later. I gotta go take care of our son. I mean, my son. Uh, I should go. And scene! Oh, <laughs> yes! Look yes. at that! Exactly! Oh. I mean, exactly, exactly as it was in the movie. Exactly how it was in the movie. Yeah, I oh. mean... It's just, it's the, it's the best scene in that movie. Really. It is. It is. I feel it's... like where, where Iris really proves her, her baseball bona fides and yes. the, the sort of like weird misogyny of the rest of the film is at least spotlighted by her pointing that out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's good. It's good for her to, you know, to step out. I mean, it's so clear that Iris has always been an advanced baseball a fan, you know, I mean, this mm -hmm. is, and, and it just, she just never really got the scene. This is her scene to do that. And, and I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I sort of feel like, you know, what we miss in the sort of this cutting of the natural is the scene in which we see, you know, the glove that Roy Hobbs finds in her apartment there's a scene kind of like the scene in Rookie of the Year where, you know, like he peels back the tape and he finds out that it was his mother's glove the whole yes. time. I feel like yes. there's a scene that was just cut from the version that we all know where there's like also a piece of tape and, and the son peels it back and he's like, Mom, this was your glove the whole time? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. real. I think that's that's definitely realistic. So. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, we will be doing a reading with Ellen. Uh, you know, and by the way, we, we, you know, we're looking for scenes. So, you know, you want to send us a scene on, on Twitter, just do a hashtag a reading with Ellen and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take on that scene. I, you know, I mean, it's, it's super easy. I mean, all we're doing is just using the, the script as, as, uh, as, as it was used. So it's, it's, it's super just easy transcription, basically. Yeah, just transcription yeah. from yeah. one to the other.
and I wanted to say, I think a reading with Ellen is more is more appropriate because yeah. reading with Ellen sounds like maybe you would just somebody would be reading at the same time while I'm reading silently, and that doesn't right. sound like something that uh, somebody would want to podcast about. So no, you could have like yeah. kids, like oh, reading with Ellen, and then you're you're reading, you know, the the big fish that went to school or whatever it is, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, which would be great, which by the way, if, if there is a book called the big fish that went to school, we'll, we'll, we'll possibly, I'll make a that. video. Yeah. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll go from there. All right. Uh, it is time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. Ellen, were you able to prepare one? Do you have one for us? I do. I do have one thought for us this week, which is, is there any greater delight than an obvious toupee? Ooh. I'm not sure that there is. Um, and this is a thought that I've had in the past in my life when I've been like circulating in the world and like able to see other people that seeing an obvious toupee, it's, it, it just, it, it inspires joy. And what brought this to my mind was, uh, so my husband and I have this uh, podcast, which we've talked about before, Take Me Into the Ball Game, where we grade baseball movies. And, and it's wonderful. Um, oh, thanks. It's wonderful. You guys and, just did a great old baseball movie. By great, I mean terrible, but but also great in its own way. Yes, we did. Uh, it happens every spring. Yes. Um, and it is ridiculous. But even worse... Uh, we did, we're, we're about like a month ahead in terms of episodes that we have released and episodes that we have recorded. And we watched Ed, the movie, and there is an obvious toupee in that movie, which, <laughs> uh, is used for the sort of ridiculousness that you would expect of the film Ed. But I found myself while watching it, basically leaving my body at any time that I could to think about another time when I wasn't there watching Ed. And when I saw the guy with the obvious toupee, I did. I left my body and stopped watching Ed. And I thought about all the times that I'd seen obvious toupees in the wild and how much joy they brought me that the film was not bringing me at that time. I so love it. I love my, it. That's my thought for this week. An obvious toupee is one of those few things in today's very difficult environment that can still bring us a little happiness, yeah. uh, a little a little joy. Uh, our, our own Marissa, who is who is making her second appearance in this podcast, by the way, points out there is a book called Pout Pout Fish Goes School Adventure. So <laughs> we'll we'll look into Pout Pout. Uh, for our next thing. All right. Excellent choice. Uh, I'm going to give my uh, one last meaningless thing. Before I do that, I uh, would like to ask again uh, for anybody who 
made it all the way through this podcast. We are doing something very fun, I think, and very cool over at passionsinamerica.com, where if you send us a photo of something bringing you joy in these very difficult times, and I know that's harder than ever to think about, but something that brings you joy, um, you send it to us over at uh, Passions in America. The, the email is actually uh, photos at passioninamerica.com. If you send us a photo, we are going to do a couple of things. We're going to donate $10 to the D.C. area food pantry so others might eat, uh, which is an extraordinary and wonderful place. Uh, And we're also going to uh, post many of these photos over at Passions in America where they uh, can bring joy to lots and lots of other people. Uh, It has been remarkable. We've been doing this now for about a week. We got uh, about 500, more than 500, actually. Uh, People have sent us photos in the first week. That's uh, $5,000 to uh, So Others Might Eat. And uh, we have posted some of them. We have a few amazing ones. Well, more than a few. We have a lot of amazing ones, but we have a few amazing people who have uh, sent us photos that we're going to uh, post their stories soon. So would love for you to be a part of this. Uh, go to passionsinamerica.com and take a look at the photos and 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 enjoy them. Uh, but also you can um, uh, send us a photo. We would love to see it. Photos at passionsinamerica.com. All right. My one last meaningless thing is, um, it's really hit me this week. So what's, what is there to do when, when we're in the middle of a pandemic and you can't leave and there's just nothing, you know. So basically I have been uh, scouring YouTube for any bits of content and, and interesting things that I can find. And I found something that I, that I, I would like to discuss for a time. The <laughs> magazine Wired, okay, does something they call the autocomplete interview. Have you ever seen a Wired autocomplete interview um, there, Ellen? No. Okay, so here's the concept between, behind it. They they get celebrities um, to stand in front of, to sit in front of the camera, I guess, in front of a whiteboard, often in pairs. They often get more than one celebrity. And then they give them a board and they and they uh, answer the questions that are the asked by people on the web based on the Google searches, I guess. So like if somebody searches uh, Melissa McCarthy, there whatever question would have, like why does Melissa McCarthy, whatever the question might be. So so these are so it's a gimmick. It's a, it's a it's a fun little gimmick, I guess. Uh, where you are asking celebrities the questions that people are asking um, on the internet. And they've done a bunch of these. I mean, I don't know how many there have been. I've, I've seen a couple. Uh, I've seen more than a couple. And, and there are, it seems like there's an infinite number of them. And, and here's my problem with it. Um, and I mean, this is no offense to, to the, the greater society that is the world. The questions people ask are incredibly stupid and often they don't even make sense. And, and this is funny. Like the first time you see it, like the first time you see, like they had Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt on there. And like, one of the questions was like, why Jennifer Lawrence? Like, that's like literally the question. (laughs) And, and then Jennifer Lawrence says like, I don't know why not or something like that. And then everybody laughs and then they go on to the next question. 
And and so the first time I saw this, I thought, oh, this is really fun. Uh, they they're because they're goofy questions, and some of the questions are are fully formed, but a vast majority of them are not. They're mostly like, you know, there are like, how old is Chris Pratt? But most of them are like, why Chris Pratt dog? You know, like those are like that would be like a typical one. I, I just want to say to the Wired people, man, this wears fast, okay? So, like, the first time I saw it, it was like, oh, that's funny. That's kind of cute. And then the second time I saw it, I thought, okay, that was a lot like the first time, but but still kind of funny and kind of cute. And then the third time I saw it, I thought, okay, this is horrific. They literally do this. You're, you have these celebrities for they, – they sit there for, like, 10 minutes. So you could actually ask them real questions that, that would be interesting to know. Uh, and instead it's every question that they don't even like make sense. Like, like is Daniel Radcliffe pizza? Like, like, like that's <laughs> like enough. I, I, I've seen enough. So, so I, I, I'm pleading with the wired autocomplete people to like either pick better questions or like, uh, come up with a different gimmick because you have like these incredibly cool people that I would like to hear engage with each other and, 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 and talk and, and all this. And then instead they, they basically are just laughing at how stupid the, the auto search uh, questions are. And uh, that's it. That's my whole meaningless thing. It's, it's, it is truly meaningless. And my first thought was, oh, that's kind of funny. And then my second thought was, oh, I wouldn't want anybody to have to be subjected to that. Because basically- I think they know, right? They know they're going in, that they're going to be subjected to these kinds of uh, inanities. Oh, totally. So I feel like the way that you would prepare yourself potentially, or maybe you're the kind of person who chooses not to prepare, but you would, you could only prepare by like Googling yourself and seeing what are the suggestions that come up. This is not something that I have done for myself. And I feel like it's not something that anybody should have to know about themselves. And then, and then the next thing to like make them try to answer nonsensical questions that like not even the internet can answer yeah, it feels like what you're describing is sort of like the experience of eating pancakes that at first you're like, yes, pancakes. I mean, this is a Mitch Hedberg joke, but like, you know, all exciting at first. And by the end, you're sick of them. But I, I feel like my experience would be more like eating, I don't know, shoes. Like that's not to eat. Don't eat shoes. Why Ellen Adair shoes? Why that Ellen will Adair now be... eat shoes? Yes. Well, no, no. It wouldn't even say eat. It will just say why Ellen why Adair, Ellen shoes. Adair shoes. You would have to like figure out what the rest of that question is, is supposed to be. And I would be, be like, because I, I have they... bone spurs from ballet. Thank you very much. I, I guess the I guess the point is like is like literally to do what uh um like you know what the the uh um. Like you, like you begin typing in why Ellen, and then it'll say, why are Ellen's ears so big? But that's not your ears they're talking about. I guess they're talking about Ellen DeGeneres' ears. Um, point I'm making is just a new gimmick. That's, I mean, maybe this is working for Wired. I certainly, in today's very difficult media environment, if this is a winner for you, just keep doing what you have to do. But I'm not watching them anymore. That's, I've... I've 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 hit my I've hit my limit of pancakes on the on the uh, autocomplete uh, interview. So. so there you go. So did we do it? Did we get through this very difficult uh, 
podcast where where really we shouldn't have been talking about meaningless things? Did we do it? Did we pull this off? I think we talked about a lot of meaningless things. Yeah. I think that the the meaningless police might have come through a couple of times and been like, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm going to I'll let that pass. There, was, there were moments in there where you're like, oh, we could bring some meaning in here, but no, but, we're not going to. No, yeah. We're not going to do that. So It was hard to be meaningless this week. So if if anyone enjoyed the meaninglessness, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if you're listening to this, hopefully you got what you were hoping for because- uh, We tried hard. We did try hard to be meaningless. So uh, Maybe it'll be better next week. You know, maybe maybe things will will turn up. We can we can always hope. So, Ellen, as always, thank you. You're the best, Joe.